Welcome to UberCube, the podcast where we discuss all things Cube, but with refreshments. This is your host, Anthony Adams, a.k.a. UberBear, and tonight I am joined by my other host, May, also known as Magic. And we have our other host. It's Stu. I like that you, you say that with such, like, excitement. But enough about me. Let's talk about the fourth and most wonderful guest that we're going to have on our show today. It is none other than Cube Extravaganza Specialist, Mr. Justin Parnell. Baldur's Gate fanatic? <laughs> too, yeah. too kind. Well, okay, so... We talked about it a little bit before before we started recording, but so I'm not a video game player, okay, at all. You know, mm. I maybe in my in my childhood, but once I like graduated from college, whatever, I just got away from it. I'm also not a D and D player, but my my brother in law bought myself and my partner Baldur's Gate on Steam, and mm. he's like, "Oh, you guys are gonna love this game and do all sorts of stuff." I'm like, "Oh, cool." So we're we're you know we're kind of getting into it, and again, we're not video gamers. My partner, even less so than me, because she didn't have these like latent, you know, childhood video game genes, I suppose. But it's a game that I don't know if in, any of you have played it. May I don't know if you've played no, it. No, I have not. Okay. I've heard things. So you can basically like do anything. You can go around. You can kill anyone you want. Your friends, enemies. You can sneak up on people. You can, you know, move stuff. You can like travel anywhere. You can uh, steal things, which is. Mm -hmm something that we discovered in a very inopportune time. So there's this point in the game, the kind of the beginning of the game where there's like three different factions that are all kind of got an ax to grind against each other, mm -hmm. a, an obsidian battle ax, if you will, to grind against each other. And, sure. uh, you know, I'm going around in my back, my like backstories. I'm like the like smooth talking, like criminal kind of sleight of hand, you smooth know, criminal really high persuasion. <laughs> So I'm like trying to play all of these factions against each other and be like, yeah, we're on your side. We're going to help you out and say that. I say that to everyone, every single one. It's like tieflings, druids and goblins. And I'm like, yeah, helping everyone. <laughs> and I'm like, cool. I've done all of this work. It took me like an hour to do all of this. And as we're leaving this, I'm just like walking through this grove and this gigantic battle pops up. And I'm like, what happened? And, <laughs> and Meredith is like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. She's like, I just took something. And I'm like, what do you mean? You just like stole something? She was like, yeah, it was just sitting on the table. <laughs> I'm like, you can't do wipe. that. <laughs> you can't do that. And and then we just get into this battle. I try to escape. We're just murdered. And no. Someone let me tell you about how, how this uh, game works with saving. Okay. It doesn't auto save very often. Oh, you got to no. manually save. And I did not manually save. Would you say that that's very like a property of black and magic where it's just anything at all cost that's kind of how you were just life is in a it, win it life is a yeah. resource well, yep. the, life, the, life was a resource and it was my life was the entire resource. <laughs> all the way down to zero the entire party we were just just dead no, no, no shot really plays into she died instantly like instantly because she's just like fine let's fight everyone she's she's playing as like she's playing as like a barbarian mm. berserker I'm like I'm playing as like a like a sneaky warlock, so she died just immediately because she's just trying to fight people and this did not work <laughs> oh, no. out. Anyway, that's our Baldur's Gate experience. We're not. It's probably going to take us about a uh, thousand hours and five or six years to to finish this game. But you know, we get to play a, a, a time or two a week. It's been it's been fun, but we're not very good. 
So that's so, a little that's prelude my experience. into the that's experience cool. of Baldur's Gate as we, I guess, tempered the mood to get into the conversation that we're going to have on Black as far as its bandwidth within Magic and specifically within Cube. But before we go any further down this conversation, we're going to do the thing that we always do, and we're going to have our libations of the show. And Justin, since you are our esteemed guest, what are you having on this particular evening? I have some delicious, refreshing, tasty water. High quality. Just H2O. the thing that I drink the most. Yes. And well, guess what? I am also going to be following suit mm. because, unfortunately, I don't know that time zones exist, apparently. So I only prepared water. <laughs> <laughs> you made water. That's cool. And so, Stu. I've got me, and this has been a favorite quite kind of recently, I got me a... Hidden Pipe Coffee Porter, and it's from the Rally Brewing Company. And I'm kind of thinking that I'm just going to stick with this permanently now because it's delicious. It's delicious. I'm just going to say ditto. I'm having the same thing. Let's, All just, right. let's yeah. get mm-hmm. to the get to topic. It. All right, Justin, we're going to talk about Black and its profile within Cube environments. And we have a nice little script that we'll be sharing within our show notes. It helps us keep on the, it's kind of the, keeps us on the beat as we have discussions, right? So we don't flow off topic too much. But I heard you recently talking about your favorite card, your first card, and it was Black. And I believe it was Recurring Nightmare. Would you mind opening Mm -hmm. us up with a little bit story how you met Recurring Nightmare and how it became your friend? Well, I mean, you know, so I started playing Magic in 1999, and one of the very first things that I got, I actually bought a a box. It's just like a cardboard box of like someone was just getting rid of their Magic cards, right? And in that box was the 2000, or excuse me, the 1998 World two 1998 World Champion decks. One of those was by world champion Brian Selden, who played a recurring nightmare survival of the fittest deck. Ew. So that was my first time seeing recurring nightmare. And from that point on, my mind was blown and had been from, you know, 25 years ago, almost now has been one of my absolute favorite magic cards and is my number one favorite cube card, period. It's something I will take just about every single time that I see it in cube and ironically, yeah, in, in the, the first version that I ever played with was a gold-bordered version out of that 90, 1998 World Championship deck. And you know what? Holds up today. That's Creatures, exactly as it turned out, have a lot say, of enter-the-battlefield yeah. abilities that keep getting mm-hmm. better and better. So Recurring Nightmare, yeah. timeless. We actually, Anthony asked me before we started recording, he said, how long do you think Recurring Nightmare has got? And I said, I'm pretty confident it's got forever. I don't know if you mm-hmm. could print something like this again like you can't print it into standard you I, you can't put something like this in a commander precon I, I really don't know if this is a card that just on face value of pure power level and what it does i don't think there's going to be a time where you're going to be able to show me uh, any size 360 card vintage cube and say this card doesn't quite cut the mustard anymore. I don't think we're ever going to get to that point. JP, you tell me what you think, but I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I mean, I think if you are trying to create the most degenerate uh, environment possible, I think there's a case, and I think there's a lot of cases for not including Recurring Nightmare, but not because it's not power level in in, in a contextual sense. It's because those type of cubes, especially if it's a 360-card vintage cube, are not playing the type of magic where you're trying to actually play to the board. You're you're basically right. all trying to put 
play some sort of, of different mini games. We were trying to put together two and three card combos to win. Exactly. Most of the time, Recurring Nightmare is not going to do that because the thing that Recurring Nightmare has aged poorly in is the fact that three mana gets you a lot more now than it used to. If you're casting anything for three mana, uh, that's going to get you a lot farther than it did in 1998, in 2008, even 2018. So that's the only where only place where... Recurring Nightmare falters, but I do feel like if you are trying to play interactive magic, it will it will forever it will forever be a, a hollowed card for for cube. I like interactive magic. So yeah, we're going to take too. this card and we're going to consider it as we have this discussion, kind of the evolution and contextualization of black. I think Recurring Nightmare is a good benchmark as we. Look at these cards as we move through the list and we involve. But for now, I'm going to ask the listeners to put a pin in that. This is a good little prelude on top of our prelude, right? Because what we have now is a little bit of discussion on CubeCon. And this is going to be an ode to May and the fake Cube. Because I can't, I'd be remiss to not talk to you about our... Deathmatch in the fake cube and how it did not end well for me, but I tried. I really, I truly tried. But I wanted to talk about this deck that you built in the fake cube. This is a nice little tangent, but I think it's great. Like, what was your design in the fake cube? What were you doing coming into this? My goodness. Well, okay. It was great. So I want to, I want to put some clarifiers on here. This was a death match because one of us was going to be 03 if we lost. (laughs) Okay. We weren't, just gonna we weren't playing for the trophy, my friends. We, we were, were playing, we were for, playing for the Pure shame point. of was not winning a match. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if the deck that I drafted is even much worthy of discussion, but it did beat you. Yep. So that it's, is discussion. You know, <laughs> I scoreboard, I guess, but it's not. I, I'm not. You know, this isn't ones I'm. I'm bronzing and putting on the mantle. I'll just say that. The best card in the deck, easily, and I don't know if I told you this at the time, but I only drew it against you in every uh, game, woof. was Obsidian Battle Axe. <laughs> it crushed me. <laughs> so I tried to I tried to build, it was like my pack one pick two, mm-hmm. and I try, my, my first pick was Factor Fiction. So I went Factor Fiction to Obsidian Battle Axe, that common pair, you know, you see it all, all over the place. Pair. Yeah. <laughs> Obsidian Battle Axe, and I'm like, yeah, let me... I'm like, th- this is, you know... I've, I've drafted a lot of Lorwyn and Morningtide. Like, mm-hmm. the amount I'm of money that. I put into that dra- that draft... Like, I'm, sh- I'm sure you have. That's probably where a lot of where this cube came from. <laughs> uh, so I drafted a lot of Obsidian Battle Axe, and as well as its uh, compatriots that care about other creature types, but Obsidian Battle Axe, that's really my jam. I like haste, so uh, I like attacking. So I tried to build this Warriors deck. Mm-hmm. It did not work out because it was very reliant on a couple of very specific warrior cards, and sometimes I simply didn't draw them. Not so against Anthony, nope. where I absolutely did draw them. Yeah, got them all. <laughs> um, so curving out with warriors where you just your best thing just gets haste every turn, and plus two, plus one, b- basically made it so like I could fight through the multiple dragons that were in his deck. 
Yup, you literally. Yeah, that, that was definitely an obstacle. It looked like a constructed deck when I played against it. I couldn't even figure out why you're in the bottom. I'm like, oh my god, I am playing against yep. literally a deck he built before he came here because <laughs> I it didn't, was constantly I didn't have him sitting battle axe. I you. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was just, it was one of my, and I've joked about this in a previous episode. Uh, this was one of my KubeCon 2023, f- just absolute memories right i enjoyed everything about <laughs> losing to you was fantastic the whole idea of what was happening this was one of my favorite cubes to draft and i just i would be remiss not to even mention that because may spent so much time just cultivating this absolutely gorgeous environment that people are so excited to draft and i know that this is completely tangential right this has nothing to do with our absolutely. back in black episode but <laughs> it is worthy to talk about it. And one of the things I did, besides you just romple stomp me with this card, right? I'm very proud that I got to boomerang one of your tap lands. And that was a highlight to me. I actually said afterwards, I was like, I'm gonna have to say something to me about this because this is not this is not the type of emotional experience I was expecting to have playing this cube. If it makes you feel better, I did cut the boomerang. Yeah, good. Uh, well, there's, there's, a lot of tap, there's a lot of tap lands in that cube. I mean, it sounds yeah. like the the battle axe was uh, was much more impactful than being able to bounce the tap land. I mean, yeah, well, I did win that winner. game. I complained about it early and then went on to win that game, which is why I actually didn't bring go. it up later. <laughs> but it was on the back of the battle axe. Absolutely. Yeah. But so we got off our regularly scheduled program because, you know, we got JP here. We wanted to talk about this thing. And I've been chomping at the bit mm-hmm. to say this for weeks. And here we are. And that's our cube. And I, anybody that's on the fence about coming to KubeCon 2024, don't be. Get in there. Get those tickets as soon get as they come the out. I'm sure that the team is going to start planning it soon and get all over that because it was the best experience I think any of us have had ever right i mean we it was agree. wonderful mm-hmm. but that's our nice little tangent now let's uh let's go back to our regularly scheduled program back in black the episode so what we're talking about today is kind of the progression and i would even say the regression of black over time right like and i think mm-hmm. in our pregame discussion justin put it best black has had this unique relationship that's almost been bell curvish right mm. in as cards come into the fold and we accept them and then as time passes we revoke them and then as time you know goes further along the track and now we're in 2023 suddenly cards are starting to re-enter the battlefield and the reason why we pre- preluded aside from Baldur's gate and the fake cube but we did get into recurring nightmare and that was a neat card to talk about in the beginning because it's had this interesting dynamic where it's been pseudo timeless in the cube world, even frightening in lower-powered environments. Does anybody have any thoughts on that before we migrate forward in this conversation? Yeah. I think Black is back. Black is back. So That's my thought. If I had to go 40,000 feet in the air and I had to say, what is Black good at, right? What is the thing? Mm. Because as I, as a curator, there's been a recent intervention between myself and our good friend Samich, a.k.a. Chris, Chris, or I got that vice versa, but everybody gets the point. That's right. Where we've talked about the evolution of our powered vintage cubes. And let's be clear on this. We are talking about vintage cube environments, right? Where or, we're kind yeah, of yeah, staying yeah. fairly focused on the environment, right? Rather than- I think it's fair. Yeah, I think it's fair. Yeah. But but even as a color profile, what does black do well? And I'll just ask this as a blank question. Justin, what does black do well? What is it what is it known for? Well, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give so first of all, I want to preface this entire episode by saying, in case anyone doesn't know, black is my favorite color in magic, easily. It's also my second favorite color in magic, just to be clear of where it's <laughs> where it lands. And again, this is going to sound like a backhanded compliment, but 
I think that in most cube environments, whether this be a powered vintage cube environment, whether this be a legacy cube environment, whether this be a lower power cube environment, black is the best support color for the vast majority of cubes. Now, there's obviously some downside to that, which I'm sure we'll get to, but black has the easiest time transitioning its strengths and skills to assist other colors that might be the primary focus of a deck because it is focused on the things at all at all levels that permeate through every type of cube environment and that is interaction it's the best interaction it's the best at hand interactions the best at graveyard interactions the best at board interaction often the best at library interaction so it it is able to provide things at a lot of different levels but it ends up being kind of a jack of all trades master of none in most cases. Now there's a lot of, there's some cubes, especially lower power cubes specifically around the like peasant spot where you can potentially overload on the affecting the board type cards, which is something that black does really well. And you see black be uh, not necessarily dominant because magic's gotten a little bit faster and Ravnish, Chupacop and friends haven't for the most part, but you, you were able to see black kind of operate at a premium but even still, it's not a, it's not generally a focus. It's like this is a component of the deck, and I'm probably going to win the game with something. So, so I would kind of summarize. You kind of said this early on. We made some jokes, but black is kind of the smooth criminal within the cube environments, as in it does the thing that just doesn't go noticed, but it's very important. It's integral, right? It is your removal. Mm. It is your hand stripping. Mm. It is reanimation, and it's your tutors. And it's easy to think that that's, it's not its pillars so much as it, you, you did summarize that well. It's got this utility profile. And we talked about that in a recent episode where we talked about green kind of falls subject to that too. It gets a little bit labeled as the ramp utility profile is right. Whereas these other colors tend to stand on their own legs a lot more. I can see where black has had a hard time gaining its own identity over time. Would you agree with that statement? I would because I think I'll, I'll, I'll state this black is also my favorite color in fact someone said to me what's your favorite color in magic and i say demira but black blue i I love them both maybe fairly equally but black is i'm I'm a huge fan of and i think that just the way that for them at, at least i will say for the cubes that we play in our environment right the the fact that black sort of holds this utility this supportive kind of role i think is so true and the fact that regardless of the cube in all the cubes that we have and i'm very very fortunate that we have some solid curators amazing designers the the way that black is able to be integrated into all those cubes and provide that support package is top-notch but i would say black certainly at the highest level is very very capable of standing by itself it's one of the reasons why i take the cards so very highly i think blue is in a similar kind of area where maybe it needs a little bit of help here or there but black has just got so much that it can do it can strip hands it can remove creatures it can cheat creatures into play it can cheat only black creatures into play right you can just build a mono black reanimated deck and just rely on gristlebrand and our kind of cruelty and your deck's going to be incredible so that's and i think that that ability for it to withstand for it to stand by itself as well as provide all that utility is why i'm such a huge fan of it so may I have a little bit of early curveball for inclusion? Oh boy! We kind of, well, we, we talked we talked vintage cube here, right? But I'm curious, mm-hmm. what is the profile of black in the fake cube? Does it follow that infrastructure that we just talked about conceptually, 
removal, hand stripping, reanimating tutors. Does it have like this holistic like utility component or is it more? Oh, absolutely. Okay. That is the core identity of what black does for a lot of environments, I feel like. And when you allow black to have access to those tools, it can really shift its importance in the environment. Black ended up becoming a very important color in my environments just because it has these access to things like coveted prize, which is five mana tutor, but it costs less for each member of your party. And then whatever you tutor, you could cheat it into play if you have a full party. And things like that are just huge. And then, like Stu said, with the reanimator packages, it's just so easy to set up with these big, stupid cars into the graveyard and then just reanimate them back. Or in my specific case is that I have things that bring back multiple creatures. So that way you can create a presence out of nowhere. And I think that one of the aspects that people tend to underestimate with black isn't just that it's a supporting color, but it is a very, very good mid-range color. Mm -hmm. It is really, really good when it is allowed to flourish with like one to two other colors that can have that kind of strong identity because of all that extra utility consistency that it can provide. So that's actually a question that I posed, and I'm going to put this to the group specifically. We'll go with Parnell first here is in my show notes. I asked the question, is black aggro, and we're going to talk about that, non-existent any longer, and is it just black now redefined or recontextualized as a mid-range package? And I'm going to use for the example as Rankle Master of Pranks. Is that the new definition of what we're looking at in black? So I'm going to, I'll do the thing that people always love when I do on a cube podcast and that's make a really extreme point without providing some middle ground. I think that uh, I'm going to agree with a lot of what may said and maybe even take it a step further as far as black, not just being a support color, which I I do think that's where it's, it it primarily lies in most cubes, but Hmm. is a mid range color. But I think that's because it has to be because I don't think it can exceed on a, it can't succeed on a speed level against red and white. And it's like the, it's like the third best at almost everything is kind Mm -hmm. of the problem, but that does ultimately make it an incredibly powerful mid range color because you're really trying to get to the mid range. And the more that you can play a mid range game, the more black and black based decks are able to be successful. So yeah, I'm actually going to say, yes, I, I will stand, stand on an Island and say, is black, Black aggro just mid-range? I kind of think that it is. Because and if it's not, not, then it should be. I don't I don't know necessarily that it should be, but I think you're gonna have to for people to make that not the case, you're gonna mm-hmm. have to change things in your cube that aren't changing the black cards. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like you're no, you're I... gonna have to change things in other colors to make it so black aggro can be lower to the ground because if you're pushing all of the colors the same, if you're pushing white the same, if you're pushing red the same, I mean, honestly, even if you're pushing like green the same and you're just saying, I'm going to put the best one and two drops in all of these, like it's at best in third place and probably in fourth place. The only thing it beats is blue. Black um, aggro is just not the beast that it used to be even, even compared to two years from ago. Right. Because Back when we could just slap down a gutter bones and probably be fine. Now we're having so many one and two drops that are just so powerful that it's really hard for black to keep up. 
and just having glorified uh, sticky savanna lines isn't enough anymore unless you're tacking on like aristocrats packages or some other mid-range package or insert min- miscellaneous things that Black can do. That's exactly not what I was going to say. Things to turn sideways. I was going to say that we're going to define black aggro if you're using that in its purest form as gutter bones, mm-hmm. blood soaked champion of all sleeper. And if your intention is, as you said, a sticky savanna lions turn sideways, fast damage, it is the third or the fourth best. The caveat would be, as you've just stated, and I was going to latch onto that, unless. You're running like an aristocrat's package where your intention is to keep revitalizing, reanimating these creatures and get repeatability. And that kind of is a flashback to the original statement I was listening to you, Justin, talking about black has a better statement in a peasant cube environment when you're talking about like it's more pronounced and has more function and form in that environment because I think it does lean into that more where the aristocrats and things can actually thrive. But as the power tiers, the bands continue to increase, Boros just does it better, right? When we're trying to do the Mm -hmm. Savannah Lions turn sideways using that as the model here. These are three cards that I cut recently from my powered vintage environment because I looked at it from a 40,000 foot standpoint and just decided, and this is Stu given critical feedback as he does, right? I use these as dead placeholders for the longest time, right? And I think that happens a lot of times. I did a recent refresh on my powered vintage environment, as did our good friend Chris, just because until late, there hasn't been anything better. That's a lot of times, sometimes people Mm -hmm. lose track of that. You can't just cut gutter bones and then there's this blank void. Sure, you can, but you need something to come out with Caverns Ixalan that just does something more interesting more dynamic does that make sense to the group i mean you're always looking for the next best thing yeah well i mean it's tough when you have like other colors getting like premier one drops at such a higher clip than than black because you get to a situation where you know in every format this is not just exclusive to cube but all aggro decks are predicated on the concept of consistency Mm -hmm. and you know that's why you don't see aggro decks that are like playing two of one card and three of another card no they're, they're four ofs because you want to have the most consistent game plan so when we translate that to cube well what that means for us if we're if we're sticking by um, a more traditional singleton environment which i think that most cubes still are but of course not a, mm. not a requirement to build a cube that way but if you're doing that you have to try to go as deep as possible on aggro options for any color not just black but black just so happens to have the worst of the options of all of the aggro colors it didn't get it didn't get ragavan okay red got ragavan and then uh, black got evolve sleeper right like that's like yeah. the closest thing in in the same time frame and those two cards are in different stratospheres of playability regardless of the format Although, hey, you know what? I'd, it's a good blocker for Ragavan. I'll give it that. <laughs> so I think curators are looking for the reason why it's kind of multi-spectrum. It goes across the different color bands. You kind of alluded to this too, is because they're still looking to challenge that control mechanism, that combo, right? They're still trying to keep speed. So that's why you see green having its pseudo aggro. You're seeing black having its pseudo aggro and even blue having its pseudo aggro, right? But Boros... Just the colors white and red, just do it. And the others are kind of just keeping pressure from different color spectrums. But I think 
after a while, I've come to the realization as a curator that I was leaning on that personally, me, as a crutch, and that I could lean back into what Black does well, going back to that hand stripping, reanimator, tutoring, these type things, opposed to trying to make, uh, I guess, this faux aggro that I'm trying to do from all these different colors. Do you have any thought on that? Yeah, I mean... First of all, I, I'm going to go back. You mentioned Boros, Red White. Those have kind of been the poster children for me for the longest time now when it comes to the aggro. I think Green has completely fell off for a while now. I'll be, I'll say that. And I used to really like Green as an aggro color. I just don't think at a high level it's as good. It's even remotely as good as it used to be. Except for Leatherback, leatherback Bailoff. There's not enough Leatherback <laughs> Bailoff. Lord. Not enough... Not enough Colonian Tuscas out there in the, the world of the Cube windows right there anymore. I, look, <laughs> it's it's got to it's it's got to be brought back one time. But yeah, that's that's kind of the case that red and white have kind of you know kept the flag going because they're not only getting one and two drops that can hit hard, but they're getting one and two drops with relevant abilities that happen when they enter the battlefield or are persistent effects. Whereas you know you look at a gutter bones as an example, yeah, it's a two one for one that might seem great, but it enters tapped, and then if it dies, you have to spend another two mana to get it back, and it's not really a great effect, like sure in an aristocrat strategy. So, you know, give me the white, give me the red. That's that's what I want to get aggro with. I don't even think it's great in an aristocrat strategy. I it's, think we're so not. far moved from from gutter bones even being like relevant a, at all. It's garbage. Yeah, relevant in most contexts. Like, yeah, the thing is, it would be the reason that uh, the sacrifice archetype is so successful and and on that is the central black archetype in my like leg my main cube my legacy power cube mm. that's the central archetype because it's it's a lot easier to work with like red and white like in combination to there's a lot of tokens and there's a lot of effects that that work along with that but anthony you were saying earlier you're like that's the strength of 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 black across like if you look at all cubes and the big reason for that is well most of those cards from a rarity level don't go past uncommon other than like meetup massacre but out, outside of that they're all like uncommons mm-hmm. so right you you get to have basically as powerful as you want to be and in my in my legacy cube the red white sacrifice deck is one of the is one of the best decks now obviously because that's like my favorite strategy so i'm gonna make sure that i can you know <laughs> teach people lessons if they let me um, <laughs> And they do every every time I draft it, they complain about it. They don't complain when anyone else has drafted it, and I'm like, I don't know, you, you let me do this anyway. But you can scale that and take you know 95 percent of those cards and just be like, cool, this is in a lower powered cube because it fits the restriction that I want, and it's still incredibly powerful. And that's really one of the only places that it has the redundancy that aggro would need is if you is if you really lean into the package that focuses on sacrifice and recursion. So what's interesting is, you know, as we talk about Black Aggro, you said Evolve Sleeper early on, right? And for those that aren't mm-hmm. familiar, Evolve Sleeper for one black, you get a creature human, 1-1. One, one. Pay one black, Evolve Sleeper becomes a human cleric with the base power of toughness 2-2. Two, two. Then you can pay one black and one colorless. If Evolve Sleeper is a cleric, put a death touch counter on it and it becomes a Phyrexian human with base power and toughness to 3-3. Three, three. And then you can pay one colorless and two black. If Evolve Sleeper is a Phyrexian, put a one-one counter on it, and then you draw a card and you lose one life. So that's a lot of hoops to jump through. 
But the appeal, the comparison, what happens a lot of times with cards like this, and I, I was drunk with this too, right? It pulled me in. I got, I got, I got sucker punched with this idea too, because I made a cross comparison with a card like Figure of Destiny. Would you mind reading that one to us, Stu? Yeah. So Figure of Destiny, one red or white for a creature Kithkin. It comes in as a one, one, and then you can pay red or white becomes a two, two Kithkin spirit. And then, you can play red, sorry, three red or white, and it becomes a spirit. Uh, if it's a spirit, it becomes a four-four spirit warrior, and then you can pay six, and then it becomes an eight-eight Kithkin spirit warrior avatar with flying and first strike. That is a lot of mana to dump into Figure of Destiny to get that kind of effect. But, but red and white wants to do it. Exactly. The sucker punch for me, or the you know the the cold glass of water dumped in my face, the evolve sleeper, it mimics that idea, but it's using resources and playing a playstyle trying to mimic figure of destiny. It tries to look like it's this analog, and it pulls you in as a curator. It gives this, I guess, it it puts these horse blinders on you, right? You're just cloppity clop. I need more of this. I need more figure of destiny in my cube. Therefore, it must be good because it has all this text. That do this and then this and then this. Kind of like Baldur's Gate, right? You keep following this trail. <laughs> but these type of cards, the more text we put on them, does it really do what black wants to do by its basic core principles of what black does i'm not in i will say i'm not in love with evolved sleeper i think cards like that that require a lot of mana investment for something like it's fine yeah the creature gets a little bit bigger and it gets a couple more abilities it's not the worst card in the world but i'm not enamored with it but i'll be honest i'm not as enamored with figure of destiny that i was three or four five years ago either well, I'll kill you both of that yep. as Justin puts his thumbs up, but we'll work that one out I, later. I only have two thumbs, but I'd put three if I had them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, I think figure destiny should have been taken out to pasture. Uh, not well, you guys are not firm believers ago. in the idea of mana sync, I, I see, right? I mean, mana sync I, I mean, is very no. important. What are you doing when you're doing nothing? No. You mana sync. That's I'm, what you do. I'm winning. I'm you winning before I, 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 I don't, I don't build do. decks that do nothing. <laughs> yep. That's that's the I key need part. time, you guys. I need time. You got I'm, point. I'm just not interested. I'm not interested in ever cubing a deck that figure destiny is any sort of my plan that I need to win. Yep. Yep. It's just just straight away. Like it, at all levels, magic has just gotten so much faster and so much more efficient that it's really hard to justify figure of destiny. At least, at least evolve sleeper can provide card advantage on an open board. That at, at, at minimum. And I'm not defending evolve sleeper. But mainly, I just don't think Figure Destiny's in the year of our Lord 2023, not very good. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> May, do you have a thought? Yes, I was just going to mention that. So, the difference between Magic now compared to Magic when Figure of Destiny came out is that there were a lot more times when you'd have a deck where you'd have times that you do nothing. And Parnell, you played during uh, Morning Tide, right? Or no, that was not Morning Tide. That was uh, Shadowmorn? Even tied. It was Eventide. six months later. Yeah, that one. But point is, is that during that period, it was an entirely different beast. The game is much slower than it is now. A lot less consistent. And I don't but, think that that's an outrageous thing to say, right? Well, I mean, the to put some context for younger viewers, mm. in Standard, when Figure of Destiny was in Standard, the most played lands were lands that came into the battlefield tapped and had two charge counters on them. And you could tap it and remove one to make any color of mana. The vivid yep. lands. 
I love that's them. the con. That's the con. I hate with the It's one of my, my biggest pet peeve in all of magic. <laughs> I know. I know. Putting counters on my lands. <laughs> I absolutely despise it. I will not do it. In no decks do I have any in, in, in any cube I ever own, in any commander deck. I won't play a deck in any format that has to put counters on its land. Other than Dark Depths, because that's not going to last for more than a second. I was, I'll, I will, a I'll challenge with one. What about Urza Saga? Yep, okay, fair. All right, uh, we got two. It's not not permanent, though. It's, <laughs> it's something that is, that's, that, that's, that's, you know, that's uh, moving to a, you know, a, a situation where they're not there. Yes. M- much longer. Yeah. yeah. But so, yeah, uh, to illustrate on an earlier point, is that black used to fill the role of redundancy because we used to have a time where we had aggro packages and whatever, and we needed third best to fill those extra slots to add that extra redundancy, in my opinion. And black ending up being third in a lot of categories was a good platform for other decks to draft into, if that makes sense. I would agree with that. Like that's the overarching theme here is that, It's kind of your, I guess you're taking someone off the bench because you're so far ahead in the game that you're going to give little Johnny a chance to swing the bat, right? But we've gotten to the point where where we just don't need that redundancy anymore because we have so many of different options and we have such efficient options nowadays that it's really hard to justify in in the case of, say, uh, Evolved Sleeper, right? Having a redundancy of figure of destiny nowadays, okay, who cares even about figure of destiny, right? And figure of destiny. I know one. I know one person at least. Yeah, that's fair. Figure of destiny's mother. That's what I said, right? Like, is this still a thing? Like, he's got a beautiful face. But uh, like, that's kind of the overarching theme here. Is it's not very good at the thing. It's the it's the you know the second string at best, third string even, right? So if you need it as a curator, that, that makes sense. We're not poo-pooing on your idea of curation, right? This is really reflecting on my cube. I want to put, make that very clear as we pick these apart and we give these very, I guess, constructive criticism feedback. Please look forward at Anthony. Don't look at yourself. You make your own internal decisions. But for me as a curator, I've decided in my powered vintage cube or my vintage cubes that that aggro package no longer has a place that I'm just going to embrace what black does best. That's going to be the hand stripping, the tutoring. It's going to be the removal suite, right? It's just what it does best. And I'm going to latch on that. Mm. And even mid range type of concept opposed to the aggro. I, I think if your vintage cube environment, if black's identity is to strip hands with things like thought seas and, yeah. uh, you know, him to Turak, yeah. mind twist, that kind of stuff, as well as all the Tudors, vampiric, demonic, and so on and so forth, as well as all of the reanimate effects, right? Like reanimate, like animate dead, as well as the cards that you can reanimate, like again, we discussed grizzled daddy. Grizzle Daddy Baddy. Yep, that's a little Jonathan J- Brostar, shout out to call there, yep. And Archon of Cruelty. Like, that is enough. Like, that is so much that one color does. And the, one of the things that I love about magic is, as we mentioned, right, all the interaction. It, magic is a wonderfully interactive game. Black is one color 
that I think can kind of just go off by itself and play in the playground on the in the corner. Like I've got my imagination. I'm just going to bring my creatures into play. Oh, hang on. Just let me make one look at your hand real quick and make sure there's nothing in there that's going to screw up my plans. And and then there's a, a Grizzlebrand turn one. Your y- turn. Yep, 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 yep. I want to talk about now kind of the holdout. So we've gotten rid of the first wave, right? The the one drops that are the two ones. We'll just call them that. The Savannah Lions that are the third string, right? And let's move on to the next round, right? And these are the ones that are still in my 540 Powered Vintage Cube, but they're on the chopping block too. And as I see new cards come out with new sets that we get every two and a half, three weeks, right, Justin? I'm going to look to remove these from the package, but we've got some point counterpoints. We're going to talk about this one. So the cards that we're going to take on now are going to be Scrap, Heap, Scrounger, and these will be in the show notes. We're going to, for the essence of time, we're going to kind of migrate through these. So if you want to see them, feel free to look them up. Skyclave Shade and Bloodgast. I want to take, I want to take Scrap Heap Scrounger. All right. Yep. Do it. So Scrap Heap Scrounger is a two colorless mana artifact creature construct. It can't block, but it comes in as a three two and you can pay one and a black exile another creature card from your graveyard. Return Scrap Heap Scrounger from your graveyard to the battlefield. I like this card very, very much. If we're going to put this in a deck where black is a little bit more on the utility side rather than the aggro side, and it can still work on the aggro-y kind of side because it's a three two for two mana, Exiling another creature card from your graveyard and then being able to get it back, that's pretty nice if I've got Tinker in my deck as an example and I've maybe needed to block an early Ragavan. And uh, you know what else? Really, really works nice if I've got like a black-red deck and I've got Lelia out and I've exiled a creature card at instant speed and I've put another counter on Lelia and surprise, surprise, now I'm attacking for four mana or or four power or five power. I th- I I can't see a reason not to run this. I think it just it has a lot that it can do with a few different archetypes. And I'm gonna I'm gonna champion. I'm gonna hold the flag up for keep on the scrap heap scrounger, guys. What do you think? Well, I think one thing it can't do is ever block Ragavan because it, it can't says block. Can't. I'm sorry. All right, it <laughs> but can, it tried. It can it attack tried. for three wah, mana. Then it can attack a planeswalker. Sure. I, I, there you I, go. I'll argue that. By one. Now that just, my brain <laughs> Justin, now that you made the argument, I, I agree with the tinker kind of idea, right? So I run an artifact dot deck. So that's going to be my justification for it holding as long as it has held, right? What do you think about this sure. card? Scrap Heap Scrounger. So I, in my main cube, my, my 540 card legacy power level cube, I have a very heavy artifact theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where people in my playgroup are just calling it the artifact cube now, even though that's not like that was never the intent. But the, the theme is very strong throughout the cube. So Scrap Heap Scrounger is is still quite good there. In a traditional vintage environment, I don't think I would ever look to draft this if I had a Teaker deck because I am not interested in attacking for three. That being said, there are times at the end of the pack, where you're like, you know what, I could use a couple of extra artifacts, and this is one that's not embarrassing to include in your deck. It's something that actually does something, and there's definitely something to be said for that. And I don't ever think that there's anything wrong with cards that are simply Joyce going to go later. Because everything, at some point, will be a 15th pick, right? You can have all of the... Even if you have the best 300... Whatever you think the best 360 cards in Magic that have ever been printed in your cube... Well, one of those is going to go 15th every single pack. So 
I don't really, I, I don't really subscribe to the theory of like, well, this card doesn't get drafted highly, so it doesn't have a place. So mm-hmm. on that axis, I like Scrap Heap Scrounger. I think it's a very resilient threat. It's my second favorite card on this list of three that we're talking about because I really like that you can bring it back at instant speed, not sorcery yep. speed. Which Being is why able to I'm hold gonna... up the mana and then just bring it back at any time is huge. Right. It, it allows it to be very, very aggressive because you can just push aggression. Then you can decide if you want to deploy a threat. If Scrap Heap Scrounger died in combat, no problem. I can just remove something from my graveyard and bring it back and not have to spend cards on my hand. So I like Scrap Heap Scrounger a lot. I don't think it's an incredibly powerful card, but I think it's a really consistent card. And it's a card that if you're playing an aggro deck and you have access to black mana at all, you're going to play like 100% of the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's more than I can say for a lot of black aggro cards. So. Yeah, so these are my holdouts for a reason. So Skyclave, Shade, and Bloodgast. Let's talk about that. So right. I'll do Skyclave, Shade, and talk about that one and read that card to the audience just so they understand what we're talking about. Bloodgast has been around forever. But Skyclave, Shade, for one colorless and one black, you get a 3-1. Creature, Shade. Kicker, pay two and one black. Skyclave, Shade, can't block it Ragavan. It block a Ragavan. Ragavan. Yes, it says that on there. If Skyclave Shade was kicked, it enters the battlefield with two 1-1 counters on it. And then here's why I keep it. Landfall, whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, if Skyclave Shade is in your graveyard and it's your turn, you may cast it from your graveyard this turn. Whereas Bloodgast has a landfall trigger that's pseudo-similar, but whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may return Bloodgast from your graveyard to your battlefield. The reason why these two cards have remained in my environment, the only reason why they're holding down, and the argument that my good friend Chris, a.k.a. Samich, and I have had, is that these fall into the skull clamp discussion. As in, these are sackable fodder that you don't mind being slightly aggressive with, and you'll put skull clamp on it and you'll get some value engine. Do you feel, Justin, as a curator, that that is a reason to continue to allow these cards to exist? Outside of the, they're the best, you know, th- there's always a, a second best, third best, you know, sec- right. whatever string, right? Right. So, in general, I don't think that anything needs to have a concession made to a card like Skullclamp. Because that card is going to be fine no matter what. It doesn't matter the cards you have in your cube. If they have power and toughness, Skullclamp's probably going to be good. So... I- Skyclave Shade, I will just say this. I really like cubes where this card is good because I think the card has, first of all, it's an excellent design just from uh, from all angles. But to me, it struggles against these other two cards comparatively. Not that we're like specifically comparing each of them, but the reason that in a very powerful environment, I like Skyclave Shade the least and is not something I'm interested in drafting often is because it lacks the utility that scrap heap scrounger provides of being able to do it at instant speed. And it lacks the cost blood gas provides, which is nothing, which is simply, did you play a land? Obviously significant cards like that that have that ability when you're just playing magic or obviously, you're right. going to favor that over, I have to play a land, and then I have to pay a mana cost. And then i got to cast a spell. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that being said, man, when you get to kick it out of your graveyard, that's pretty awesome. It feels really good, too. It feels awfully good, because you're probably going to win that game if if your opponent is not attacking you for lethal next turn. So, I don't know. I I would be surprised if if I found myself wanting to play Skyclave Shade in a 540 card vintage power level cube, 
that's where I'm at. But yeah, it, it's and it's tough. It's like right on the line. It's like right on the line for that. So I get it. I get yeah, it. yeah, yeah. That's where it comes. It's like we've had this discussion amongst ourselves in our peer group about. You know this because 540 is the best cube. We've talked about this before, right? Except so, for 360, which <laughs> I, I would agree, yeah. But you're going to have to have that first string, second string, the A, that B, yeah. that C squad. It's going to happen. Right. You can't evaluate these cards always on the same power band, same spectrum. It's just not going to be possible. So you right. are going to get cards. It goes back to what we talked about with Figure of Destiny versus Evolve Sleeper. I mean, granted, I've cut of all sleeper but you can see where if you're looking for side grades or something that fills a similar role the allure of these two ideas will definitely grab you as a curator if you want to have redundancy at the higher levels of cube right where you get Absolutely. into the 360s you definitely get a lot tighter but it's interesting this is kind of the holdouts i would say for the for my mm -hmm. aggro but if you want me to be truly honest Let's they're gonna die mm -hmm. all three of these are gonna die let me, Let me defend Bloodgast. Let me defend Bloodgast. Go for okay. it. Okay. So Bloodgast, I think, is the best of these by a pretty significant margin. Bloodgast, of course, is a 2-1, can't block, has haste as long as your opponent has 10 or less life, and landfall, if it's in your graveyard, it simply just comes back to the battlefield. You don't need to cast it or anything. Bloodgast, the reason that I think this is the most powerful one by leaps and bounds is because of an, a conversation we were having earlier in the propensity to angle black towards the sacrificing type strategy. Yep. And it's so easy for Bloodgast to be an incredibly powerful tool in that deck because fetch lands are already a really high pick. Obviously, you have a powered cube. You have fetch lands in that cube. You probably have the maximum amount of fetch lands you can. Right. I would imagine you got Prismatic Vista. You probably got Fabled Passage in there too. Absolutely. At that, at that size cube, right? Those are already going to be high picks. So it's you're getting to put a card that's good with already cards you're wanting to draft in your deck and Bloodcast. Now, it's less aggressive because it has one less power and still is going to be costing two right out of the gate. But ultimately, because of its utility for some of the other things that Black wants to do, which is sacrificing creatures, that's where I think that Bloodcast is at its best. And then it has the, the secondary benefit of potentially being an acceptable aggro creature at the same time. So even though we're looking at this from a, these are kind of semi-aggressive black creatures with some recursion, the recursion on Bloodgast is so much better that that's like the primary facet that I that I put that card in to be able to help that section of the queue. Absolutely. I know I agree 100%. Like, it is so far removed from what we currently had with Scrappy Scrounger and with Skyclave, because... That free cost is just so important when you have those aggressive two slots that you're looking to get extra utility out of. And it's kind of like what I mentioned earlier, where nowadays we need cards that can do other things on top of it in order just to keep up with just complexity creep that's been happening nowadays. And the more that these get introduced to our environments, it's harder to justify Scrap Heap, Scrounger, Skyclave, etc. But I think that it is also hard to justify cutting blood gas because blood gas is also just free value it's if you can play a land which you're going to have fetches as uh, justin said it's really hard to justify blocking against it it's really hard to justify trying to answer it and when you have it you can use the things like skull clamp and etc like you've mentioned and that's just so so huge compared to you know the best way to put it 
is that paying two is a lot more than paying zero. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree, but I'm still not a fan of blood gas in a vintage cube. If we're gonna go on that sort of, you know, stick with that, I'm I'm not a fan of any of them. I I, I get that blood gas mm. has that free ability to bring it back. I'm just typically not looking to be very aggro in that sense with black very often, and sacrificing creatures in that manner generally is not what I'm trying to do as much. Maybe in a, I don't know, there's a card. Is it someone like Recruiting Nightmare? That's it. That's the one right there. Someone mentioned that. They quite like that. So in that instance, yeah, maybe it's, it's, uh, it's pretty good. And ultimately all three of these do not block Ragavan. I just really want to put that as a downside of all three of these guys. They block Ragavan. Yeah, they do. All right. So, this next one, I want to talk about this because we went back and forth on this probably about a year ago, if not 18 months ago. And I know at the time I was like, man, I just really don't think this card is cutting it anymore. And Anthony was kind of a bit of a late holdout for this one. So this is going to be pack rat, one colorless and a black for a creature rat, power and toughness equal to the number of rats you control. And then you can pay two and a black, discard a card, create a token that's a copy of pack rat. Look, it's a rat. It's super cute, man. That this, uh, this, yeah. this secret lair. It's the secret lair arts. Because this is something that curators <laughs> fall into, too. And as I cut you off, and I truly apologize, this is a thing that happens <laughs> when you get that signed artist or that specialty. This is before... You have to think about secret lairs are pretty new-ish when I got this card, right? Yeah. They were still yeah. special. And I was... I guess doing my cube so that it was promos, it was kind of my vibe. Going back to my friend Chris, he wanted to go with a classic original artist, and I wanted to go with, to make mine different, I wanted the promo art, so I wanted mine to be flashy, a little different, right? So I was really clinging on to the uniqueness of this art. But as we've went into Secret Lair Mark 149, you know, Section C <laughs> in 2023, the special, the special nature of the unique art has lost its luster with me. Like this used to be a thing for me, like the Friday night promo, the, the signed artists, the, the judges, signed, yeah. whatever. Yeah. These were chase for me. Like these were things like, Oh man, you get that sick, whatever, you know, in this case, the, pack rat right and they'd be like oh my god this card is so beautiful or that seb mckinnon art that you got for damnation or whatever right it was like oh my god sick now nobody cares because they just won't stop printing them and i don't mean to be that guy but it has killed that chase for me right so pack rat just because of that reason alone and i'm not even going with functionality i'm going with artistic value of this card made me hold this longer than i, I can remember a time not all that long ago and when I say not all that long ago, it was probably a few years ago now, where I actually used to look at Packrat and think, hey, if I'm trying to reanimate, you know, maybe it's not too bad that I can pay three mana and discard a card and I've got another copy of this Packrat and I can be a little bit aggro with it. You don't need that anymore. And it's 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 just too slow, which is kind of crazy to think that you can just keep churning these rats out and they're just getting power and toughness equal to the number of rats, right? So like getting two and then three and then four, it wasn't immaterial. It wasn't a difficult thing to do, but it's just not, in my opinion, it's just not strong enough anymore. Do you tell me what you guys think? Justin, how many times have you died to a pack rat in your career? Oh, not as many as I've killed people with pack rat, but a lot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now, that's not recently. I can't tell you the last time I've died to pack rat. I think many years ago. Maybe even before this Secret Lair promo came out in 2020. But 
you know, there was a time and a place for Pack Rat. I just think that it wasn't recently. And it's really difficult to justify it on pretty much any angle. It's aggressive, but it's not quite aggressive enough. It provides you discard outlet, but a pretty expensive one. And it's, you know, it's cute, but not cute enough to overcome all these other deficiencies. Hey, that kind of sounds like black as a color. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Congrats, the perfect black card after all. <laughs> We've come full circle. <laughs> Third string. <laughs> it's your turn, Johnny. Let's go. Well, I don't even have my helmet on, coach. <laughs> so, That's how about friend. we talk about kind of where black's identity has been pushed in recent times? Because I think that is pretty relevant for what what the strongest cards have been for Black. Because we might not have gotten like Ragavan, but we've gotten Orcish Bowmasters, and that has been pretty huge. Yeah, so unique cards have been unsettling formats, right? So that's kind of where we're moving. We're kind of transitioning, as May just did, from the once was. And, and Justin, do you mind if I reference your article that really tempos the pace of this? And I'll include it in the show notes, Please. because I think you did a pretty good job. Uh, how many years ago did you write this article? 11 years ago. Talk August about, 27th, 2012 is when it released. Wow. Talk about a trip down memory lane. I, I mean, it's got to be for yourself, but it certainly was. Anthony and I were kind of scrolling through this when you sent it over to us. I was thinking, man, this is, yeah. this is crazy looking at some of these old cards again. Justin had the feature site to see in this article kind of where Black was and where it's heading. And one of the things that you headed off early at the pass in the conversation, and I'll gladly share this in the show notes for the listeners, because I think this is a, a great article that really reflects what we're talking about today, is that you kind of viewed Black aggro as problematic. And some of the things you said that you've summarized during this is that it was not playing to its strengths, but curators were using it as its, I guess it's C squad, right? And D squad, because maybe that's what they had to do at the time. But now, as May has alluded, we are now getting new tools, new toys that are upsetting formats that are really now, this is the back in black title of the episode, right? Like black is now regaining its luster. It's getting its title back, right? It's not well, that uh, unscored lump of coal anymore. It's starting to do something. Well, I was going to say, let's first of all, look at one of the, the line that stuck out to me immediately. And it's <laughs> black. You really suck. Like no, no holding back <laughs> from JP on this, on this article. It's a beautifully written article with a lot of cool, like insights into curation and, and what was good and what was bad back in the day. Um, but it's again, I, and I'm going to give, it kind of shows your prowess as a, an analyzer of card strengths, right? Cause I, the one card that I, that I pointed out that you said, like, why isn't this card around is a card like snuff out, right? I've heard people call that card power adjacent. It's a potentially free mana. You only have to pay four lives, remove any creature, right? And you've got that as a, why aren't you including this more in your cubes? It's a really, really strong card. But like I say, a bit of a trip down memory lane to see the kind of cards that you were saying, here's how you can focus on this strategy or that strategy all those years ago. And now where we've come in like you say the year of our lord 2023 and we've gone from and let's read one of these right so this was a recommendation that justin parnell had for a attack uh why aren't you playing this in your attack you know black aggro strategy and it's fledgling gin for two colorless, <laughs> sorry, for one colorless and a black, you get a flying 2-2, oh, and during your upkeep, it deals a damage to you. 
That's kind of not where we want to be nowadays for two manner, is it? It was angry back then, though. This was emo Justin. He was listening to, uh, I don't know, what were you listening to at the time? What was your album of choice when you wrote this article? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Fallout Boy? I was probably listening. It was probably some, like, alt-pop adjacent stuff. <laughs> I, I I was I was very much listening to to a lot of I don't know, it was probably like like fits in the tantrums or something that nice, I was nice. like listening to right then. But I will say in this section of this article, I literally say this was the absolute worst package possible that I tested, <laughs> which was the I mean, I'll read some of these cards: Pulse Tracker, Fledgling Gen, Blind Creeper. Just who's who of none of you that are listening have ever heard of these cards. I'm not even. They shouldn't even be in the show notes. I'm going to make you click on the article and go to the article and find <laughs> these cards because they're not even worth the effort that Anthony's going to have to put to put in the show notes just to make you be able to see these. But but I think there's one that's noteworthy because this kind of goes to the oh, no. bell, bell. I have an argument for this one going back to the bell curve conversation that we have had in Magic. Right. And this is going right. to be unearth. For one black, you get a sorcery. Return target creature card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield and then cycling for two colorless. This is a card that then, 11, 12 years ago, was recognized. And we talked about this in our pregame kind of idea that as card progression and mana values increased and we get into these at the time, we get into these Phyrexian obliterators and all these things, this card suddenly starts downscaling on its viability. But in 2023, as we go into this, we're starting to see cards. And I think, Justin, I'm going to ask you about this. The three mana value slot is suddenly becoming a very powerful and predominant slot in all cubes because of magic printings right. where it's becoming devastating now where three mana value is starting to do the real work, right? Like in cube environments because of efficiency and all the things that cards like an earth that at one point would have been looked at as it can't bring back Grizzlebrand as Stu had mentioned. Sure. It has no value to me. Sure. Okay. Yeah. We'll let that one. Yeah. There is other cards that can do that better, but now we're getting into, I think this is now becoming it's, Coming back is an analog to something like Luris, where these type cards and these reclaim effects are suddenly starting to have value. What's the other one that just came out? Helping Hand or whatever. Helping came Hand, out. yeah, the white one. It kind of plays play in tab. Yeah, but Don't still, love that, but you know, starting to bring back these value utility creatures that are now in this spectrum. Where it's interesting to see a card that then may have been okay, then became not okay over the next six to eight years, and now we're moving right. back to maybe it's okay again. I'm just, I'm just prioritizing the ability to be able to bring back, like I've said, uh, you know, an Archon of Cruelty or a Gristle Brand or an Atraxa, rather than having that limitation. Although I ain't going to be mad if I bring back like a Grist, that would be pretty awesome you know bring back a grist using my unearth but that's I, a good I think example maybe but i would just... take i would take like a rex age i mean there are there's becoming if you're in the 540 power at 360 this becomes for me a, like a, a no-go but when you start getting these 540 720s whatever 630s whatever these numbers are you getting larger cards like unearth are suddenly starting to have reach and appeal in I, my opinion what i do you think i better be destroying like a portal for to phyrexia if i'm in a vintage cube and i'm unearthing a rex age like it better have that level of impact for me to be excited about making a play like that which is why i'd rather get the super value from like an arcan or a gristle brand but yeah i can see the i can see the value in it i don't hate it 
So fits oh, no. and tantrum, Justin said he didn't really love it then. What do you think now, Justin? Well, so like as you mentioned, and I'll talk more about kind of the, the bell curve of how I kind of got to this for, for Unearth. There was definitely a time, and I think probably about 10 years ago, where Unearth was like, it was actually kind of slowly getting worse because the mana value, the average mana value of the high impact creatures was at like four and five. So you you weren't quite to some of the most powerful things that we see in cube now. Luris is a great example. Like Adeline Resplendent Cathar is another good example. Lelia. Even if we're just looking at even if we're just looking at black, there's a lot of really solid ones. You have like you have like uh, a Feobancer or Woe Strider or even like Gix, the one that like turns all your creatures into Phyrexian Arena. But as magic continued on, it did turn where now three mana is really that that's the that's kind of the big impact turn for for a lot of creatures, which makes Unearth so much better and now also Helping Hand. But that's in white. We're not talking about white today. No. So no. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely one of those cards that I feel like is good, even though you're not able to get back the top end of what black is traditionally looking at as reanimator targets. But again, I'm more in for black from a consistency standpoint because I think that its most depth is in the sacrificing strategy. And I think with that, Unearth is very, very good. Now, that's not a one-two punch type deck. That's not a, you know, entomb, reanimate, win the game that you can get with a Gristlebrand or Arcan of Cruelty. But it's more of a... Uh, I'm going to build this Rube Goldberg machine where you simply cannot escape. You can't kill my creatures. You can't block my creatures. You can't let me do anything. And I really like that playstyle of black because I think that's where a lot of its depth and consistency across all different kinds of cube are. So Unearth goes really well into that type of strategy, and I'm happy to see it getting a lot more love now, especially, you know, it can return Orcish Bowmasters too to kind of get back to the original point of the conversation. So... But it's, you know, that's not the only one. Orgish Bowmasters, Children of the Apocalypse, Grief, I think, are kind of the big three that have all been printed in the last two years. Unearth's only working with one of those. But those are definitely, I, I would say, power outliers in a lot of cubes, especially Children of the Apocalypse. That card, I mean, has re kind of recontextualized black in most constructed environments and, of course, is mega powerful in cube. Uh, at least any cube where any sort of card draw is happening, a.k.a. pretty much every cube. Yeah, so it's created its own... Well, I don't Tension. want to say it created, it's accentuated a draw seven strategy where stuff like Echo of Eons now that was kind of sitting on the sidelines in my cube has now re-entered, not because it ever really deserved mm -hmm. to be there, but now it says, I need to be in the, get me in coach, right? Like we've already had the the wheels and all these things, but now we've got this coming in. Did we talk it's about opening up new avenues? Did it's we talk gross. about whether or not you still have Leovold in your cube? Do you still have Leovold? I've never actually added Leovold. Interesting. There's, it's only Love because I, I Love, hate, like, to be honest, frank with the listeners, Children of the Apocalypse for two colorless and black black, you get a legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor, 4-5, Death Touch. Whenever you draw a card, you gain two life. Whenever an opponent draws a card, they lose two life. I despise this card. I despise everything about the lines of play. <laughs> this type of magic, frankly, gives, brings me no joy. However... 
because I do run a 540 powered vintage cube and it does play a different type of magic than I. It's not my preference. It's not me. It's not Anthony, but it does invoke the type of despair and it does play what magic and black wants to do the best. It's my preference. It's so here we are. This is where we are. We are now in here. Here we are, coach. We're in. And I bought it for my birthday and uh, it's in there. And Justin, when you visit Raleigh, you can, you know, kill me with it. Just know that you will. You are just. Just bleeding, you're bleeding me out slow. Just even putting this card in there, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'll try painful. to speed it up, but just do it, go fast, just get the echo of the yeah, just fire it off twice. Put an axe on it. I actually think that, um, <laughs> in most vintage cubes, and this is like a this is like a secret that I've told a bunch of people. I've given this advice to so many people because I get this is surprise, maybe not surprisingly, I get asked about advice for people doing rotisserie drafts semi frequently. Like once every two or three weeks, and if and if anyone's doing a vintage cube, I was like, I'm I was like, I'm pretty certain, you know, most of the time I look at the list and the, the cards are there. I was like, I'm pretty certain that in a in a vintage cube, the best deck that you can draft in most cases is a blue black wheels deck. Mm-hmm. That's why Golos and is not in Commander. The wheels. Orcish Bowmaster <laughs> and Children of the Apocalypse are two of the key factors in that because in wheels. Thought Seas and Friends are exceptionally good. They're so cheap. They clear the way. You get to redraw them, shred your opponent's hand afterwards. Orcish Bowmaster and Shieldred obviously can sometimes win the game on the spot when you cast one. Blue now gives you other wheel-hating cards like Hull Breachers uh, or Narset, which mm-hmm. are also very, very good all against there, wheels. So hurt. you just get the most amount of tools in that deck. To be, to be able to play a regular game of Magic that's good against most people, and then you can oops, I win with a combo kind of out of nowhere. So I'm a big fan of that deck if I'm, trying to, if I'm trying to play to win. If I'm not trying to create the most balanced environment, but I'm like, I want to win and I don't care how much fun everybody else has, that's probably what I'm going to be trying to draft. May, would you mind taking over? So we've kind of, we've covered a lot of the fundamentals of what Black does well, right? So in that case, it's just pure punishment. It's, it, it, that is a utility card that kind of plays into that. You have to have the secondary pieces with Shieldred in particular, but hand stripping is something that Black does exceptionally well. And there are two cards that are on this list that kind of, I, in my opinion, summarize that idea. Would you mind taking that on so we can have a chat about it? So when it comes to hand control and hand control is like one of my, preferred ways of playing black just because I have nostalgia for Yu-Gi-Oh! because that's that was just my initial game that was the big thing that I was into and hand control was a big big aspect of that game so when I went over to Magic it was it was not a big surprise that I immediately got drawn into those hand control cards so however we've gotten to the point where we're not just thought seizing people anymore. We now have grief in Deep Cavern Bat. And grief, to point it out, it has an evoke cost, which effectively makes it so that we're not paying mana for it, and that's huge. So when it comes to, say, Deep Cavern Bat, we now just have another redundancy or just a replacement for things like Kite Seal, uh, Freebooter, or whatever. Mesmeric we have even. a yeah. lot of redundancy and options for hand control, and because of that... It's, it's, how do I put it? Being able to control somebody's hand on the first turn of the game is so impactful 
that it can't be... Uh, I can't put it into words of how impactful that it is for the information that you get from your opponent from reducing their hand size effectively just for playing a card. It's it's a brutal type of game strategy, but I have a sort of fondness for it. (laughs) We actually talked about maybe doing an episode about just information in general because that's uh, mm. even just ignoring the fact that you do get to you know take your opponent's best card right and the best card doesn't have to be just the in a vacuum best card it could be hey you've got two islands in your hand and you've got a signet that taps for the two colors that are all the rest of the cards that are in your hand i'm just going to take that and leave the rest of your hand completely stranded right but the fact that you now have that information and for me i'm a huge fan of just the information i don't care I would almost say secondarily to the fact that I do get to take that card as powerful as an effect of that as that can be. But the information to me is just so strong. And I'm going to give a shout out to Marshall Sutcliffe. I remember a conversation that was posted between he and Louis Scott Vargas where they were talking about information. And Marshall said, I will say this. I win a lot more games of cube when I know what's in my opponent's hand than when I don't. And that kind of sums up for me just how strong of an effect that can be. So, Justin, Deep Cavern Bat, I'm going to ask you a question about this because we talked about this with J-Bro, which will be on the episode prior to yours, is for one colorless and one black, you get a 1-1 flying lifelink. When Deep Cavern Bat enters the battlefield, look at target opponent's hand. You may exile a non-land card from it until... Deep Cavern Bat leaves the battlefield. The analog that we talked about with J-Bro is how this, in my environment, has replaced Mesmeric Fiend with that mm-hmm. clause of the O-Ring where you could break it. What are your right. thoughts on this card? Are you a fan of this card? Well, certainly more than Mesmeric Fiend, even though you can like you know, you get you can do the ephemerate trick or a blink trick where you can play it and then blink it with the trigger on the stack so it returns and then when it comes back it exiles something. However, Mesmeric Fiend is terrible attacking. Like you you it, you you cast it same with like Tight Hollow Scholar and that's even a 2/2. But you cast these cards and they just sit and play. So if I was ever wanting one, it would be a Kite Sail Freebooter, but a Kite Sail Freebooter is a duress. Not a thought seize. You can't you can't take creatures with Kite Sail Freebooter, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong. I think you're. I think it you definitely has a limitation. Yeah. Someone can pull that up, but it definitely. I think has you can't take creatures. I'm going to stick with that. Fact check. Yes, you are correct. Okay. Yeah. Can't take creatures, right? Okay. So deep cavern bat is significantly better because again, creatures quite powerful, arguably the most powerful card type in Magic at this point. This is something that you can actually play to the board. It impacts the board slightly because it has flying and life link, which. Two very powerful keywords. You can actually start attacking with it. And the fact that you can take pretty much... You could you could take anything that's not a land out of your opponent's hand is a big deal. And I actually agree... I'll agree with, with Sue and, and Marshall, um, which is why I think that Gataxian Probe is one of the best magic cards ever created because it only does one thing. It lets you look at your opponent's hand and itself, generally for no mana. So just being able to play a threat on turn two that you can actually do something with... And disrupt your opponent slightly. I think that is Deep Cavern Bat incredibly powerful. No, is it on the level of grief? No. Is it a cubable card? Absolutely, and it fits into a significant amount of cubes for that reason. So hand stripping, 
that's kind of summarized. The modernization of black is really playing back to its strengths. And I'm leaning in that as a curator. And I think a lot of curators are doing that again, too, where they're grasping what black is capable of doing with the reanimation and the hand stripping. But the other thing that black does exceptionally well is removal. What doesn't black do well? That's kind of been the key point here, that right? That matters. It, it's absolutely nothing. It draws cards. It removes creatures. It puts big things into play for ch- for cheap. I mean, there's no there's no lim- there's no weakness with black. We can just end the episode no. right there. Thanks for listening. That's true. There's no weakness. <laughs> I don't know. I, that's the thing. And you know what? I'm going to ask the listeners. Does anyone have a cube that's listening? And 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 I want to know this honestly. Like, tag me on social media directly. Does anyone have a cube where black is the strongest color? I think Anthony, that it is the most Anthony dominant Maddox color in the Fake Keep right a now. a mono black cube for a little while. That may be the strongest color in there. Is more, okay. <laughs> Good to know. Great. Fair. So gotta, fair. You got to take out all the rest of the colors. So, May, you think it's the strongest cube in, in your Fake Cube? I think it might be the strongest color because when I was checking the numbers for just the data that I've gotten, rogues were huge, fairies were huge. And party were huge, and all three of those were in black because the black's car quality is just really good. Right. And go figure when you have really strong options to answer your opponent's hand, which to be clear, that is also an option in the fake cube because I had things like Una's Blackguard, which isn't in it anymore, but I replaced it with some other hand controller types effects. It is a big part of the black's identity in the fake cube of I am trying to control your hand. If I stick my Una's Blackguard, and then go immediately into that three drop, then I have effectively created very difficult position to lose from. So I think it's fair to say that your fake cube is, is a non-traditional cube. Oh, absolutely. Hi- highly thematic. You have forsaken power, uh, power level for the purpose of theme and synergy. Yes. And I'm not saying that as a knock, but... no. Um, no, you're right. Your your cube is quite far in the opposite direction of Anthony's vintage cube. Yeah, Not that that is absolutely. also representative. I think I think most most cubes are going to be somewhere in the middle in the middle of those two. No, I agree. So I think it. I I do think it kind of speaks to the point of black needs to have the environment molded external of its cards to make it one of the most powerful colors because you played into black strengths, as you said, but I would imagine that in traditional strengths that other colors might have in that cube, you're probably not pushing those quite as hard as, as uh, some other cubes might. Anthony, did you, yeah, yeah, you wanted to jump in. Yeah. So for example, in Uber bears, you know, me horror cube, (laughs) Stu likes to give me (laughs) hell about that, but in that case, I'm intentional with black being the predominant color. In fact, I run 13 Triskaidekaphobia additional black cards so that it's because it's a nightmarish type of society and they all right. have to deal with it, right? So it's on theme. But yeah. in my Uber Bears artifact cube, not never Anthony's horror cube. It's yep. always Uber yep, Bears yep, 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 horror yep, yep, cube. Yep, 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 yep. The right. black black actually was the most diminished color in there until the advent of 40k, which was brought to our attention mm-hmm. by Pleasant Kenobi when he was playing it because he's a a 40k aficionado mm-hmm. and he noticed right. that some of these cards are outliers. But it's intentional because black needed a buff. So I think there's contextualization, right. but. 
powered vintage cubes and legacy cubes and all these have kind of this, I guess, this preordained expectation. Black is definitely a powerful standalone. That's what we're coming to here, right? Guys, we're agreeing that over time, it's now evolving into it has its own legs. It now doesn't, it's moving away from I need blue to be good. I need to be Orzov to be good. I'm becoming good on my own. And it's really mm. playing into its skills with things like, and this is the removal aspect. Now we're getting into that. Shieldra's Edict, which I'm going to read that one to him because that's a little bit of an outlier here. But for one colorless and one black, you get an instant. Choose one. Each opponent sacrifices a non-token creature. Each opponent sacrifices a creature token. Each opponent sacrifices a planeswalker. No longer are we just saying the we're taking the agency away from the opponent where they now get to choose the object so much as we can now hone into what they have lesser of and make this card more impactful. These cards are really next level in the edicts and bring them back to life. And this is one of the few edicts, Justin, that I think in recent history that's now breaching back into power vintage cubes where you're, I'm taking yeah. your choice away from you, right? Yeah, Even this card's really good. No yeah. question. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, I'm going to ask, all of you, right now, okay? Mm -hmm. So the three cards we have highlighted in the show notes are Children's Edict. Mm -hmm. The second one is Bitter Triumph, one colorless and a black for an instant. As an additional cast to cast this spell, discard a card or pay three life, destroy target creature or planeswalker. And the last one is Cut Down, which is a one black instant, destroy target creature with total power and value, five or less. May I'm going to you first. Which one is your favorite card? Which one do you think, do I want to say is the most powerful or your most favorite? I don't know. Tell me either way. I think the one that I like the most is Bitter Triumph. Black. That's not a downside. <laughs> oh no, I have to discard a card. What a tra what a travesty. And yes, I'm I'm totally reusing this joke for people who listened to the previous episode. But uh, what a travesty. I guess I'll just have to get rid of Sarconic Cruelty. Oh well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that that's what separates it from the other two. Because while the other two are, I think they're playable enough. This one has potential to not only just be a good playable two-mana removal card, but it also can be a removal card that sets you up later. And that's why it's my favorite of the three, and I think it's just the better of the three. JP, what do you but think? That's just my opinion. So I like Bitter Triumph the most. But I really like all of these cards, for, for what it's worth. I think these are three of the f probably three of like the five best black removal spells like mm -hmm. the cubes have access to right now. Now, I do think the number one black removal spells not among these three agreed snuff out okay is no i actually don't out? think it's snuff out you uh, guys want to guess we can disfigure we'll three disfigure collectively three guesses no mm, I'm, um, uh, i'll give you a hint when you have one guess left. oh uh murder's cut no Darn. one guess left okay hang on, is, hang on is this a vintage cube card you're talking about or just overall sure, sure. oh it wasn't murder's cut. everything I was thinking of uh, every whatever dismember. Cube. it's a common Oh, then never mind. I guess it's not. What you, what you, what you got? Hang on. Stu wants another guess. Stu wants another guess. I haven't I even guessed it. yet. Do, I want do, one guess. Do, 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 do. Can I have a hint? Is it a creature? Yes. It is very much like one of the cards that you are seeing in these three. That's the last hint. Is it an e it's got to be an edict card then. It's not. Is it? Yeah. I don't want to take it from All right, well, you just got to tell us now, Jeopardy song has transpired. Do. One, one final guess. I don't, I don't know. So give it to okay. me. Okay. Bone Shards. 
I think Bone Shards is the best black removal spell. Yeah, that's really <laughs> yeah, good. Straight away. Really good. Straight away. Yeah. yeah. But that's the reason that I like Bitter Triumph is because it is able to do two things that black likes. Whereas Bone Shards can do three. Bitter Triumph can do two. Black generally doesn't want to lose three life, but it's nice to be able to have that as some utility if you don't want to discard a card. But being able to discard a card, obviously, that's a downside. I'm putting air quotes around that because sometimes it's just not. And having a two-mana answer at instant speed to destroy a target creature or planeswalker. I love Shouldered Edict. I think it's an excellent card. Target removal is still, in most cases, a little bit better than non-target removal because there's not, there's not like too many commonly played cube cards at this point that are un- largely untargetable. But I mean, they're both great. Like I'm, I like I said, I think these are three of the five best the removal spells that Cube has to offer. So Bitter Triumph for me is really the one because it's unconditional, as long as you meet the condition to be able to cast it, which I, I think is great. But, I agree. but Bone Shards is the is the top top card for me. I, I think I would agree, and I would also actually say I think out of these three, I would actually say Children's Edict is probably my least favorite. Because I really do like cut down. I like that it's one black. I like that that early in the game you can deal with so many powerful threats at turn one, turn two, even turn three. I think it's just, I think it's bunkers. And I think Shieldred's Edict, I like it very much, but I just think Better Triumph, uh, I agree 100% is, is the better out of the three. And I just love, I just love cut down. I think for, for one black to be able to deal apparent toughness five or less total is, it just covers such a wide range of so many powerful creature cards in the Vintage Cube. I, I, I like it very much. Let's go on. I'm going to do on that order. Yeah. Uh, You're not going to get the steal. This is my wish. Let's go on. This is my wish. I'm not going to read this. I'm not taking it back. I'm, I'm not, taking I'm, it all I'm back. Ta- I'm so taking it back. We're moving on. <laughs> so we're not always just taking cards out, right? Because yeah. in a cube environment, if you take a card out, you have to put something back in. And I will say this next one, and Anthony is... Super hype about this one. And I will say, I'm super glad that this has found its way back into your vintage cube. Anthony, tell us why. So we talked about the bell curve. That was kind of a, I guess we alluded to that early in the episode where you take something out and then you put it in your binder. And for a couple of years, it sits there and it mellows. And now it's time is back, right? That was my Goonies joke where I'm taking it back. This is my wish. I'm taking them all back, right? This wish is mine. Well, in the advent of mana values and mana curves and efficiency and the progression, I guess we've just gotten leaner, bigger, better, faster, where JP talked about this, right? Like, the curve has changed where our threats are dropping at the three mana curve, right? Well, that's where we're doing the business. The card that I think, and this is going back to, and this is a little bit probably, um, um, JP, I'm going to ask you a question, right? We've talked, you've, yeah. you have alluded to you're not a lover of pips on numerous occasions, right? Like it's, it's a thing. This is a thing. This is part of the conflict with a card that I'm about to talk about. But Massacre Worm for three colorless and triple black, which that's, painful right creature worm when masker worm enters the battlefield creatures your opponent's control get minus two minus two until end of the turn whenever a creature and opponent control dies that player loses two life for a six five now i love this card yeah this is a card that so go to that kind of that i guess the progression of magic where everything at the time 
the more something costs, the more you invested in it, the bigger it was, the more impactful it was, the more it did, right? Like very Bane Slayer type of notion, if we're going to use that for a concept. But now we've kind of moved to this advent of, well, I want these, and it's it's a connotation, but mole drifters, these ETBs. I want something into the battlefield, and I wanted to do a thing, and I wanted to fast come in, enter, draw me two cards, or just have an immediacy or an impact on the board that happens now, right? The impatience of a magic player. Well, cards like Massacre Worm have come back on that bell curve if we've kind of went on that downward slope and we sloped down to the pit. Now we're coming back up. Now these cards are suddenly starting to have relevance again. Would you guys agree with that statement? I would agree. I'm going to say right away, first of all, there's two things that I really like about Massacre Worm. Number one, it's very castable, right? So even in a reanimate kind of deck, get into six mana can be fairly trivial, right? At some point, you're hoping to get there if you're early two and three mana play or early one or two turn play to get a big fatty out. You know, maybe it gets removed, whatever the case may be. One of the things that I also like about this is there's a lot of, as you've mentioned, these two and three mana, two and three toughness creatures that are particularly impactful. There's also a lot of cards or certainly more cards than I remember that are making these little creatures, right? So you're not just worried necessarily, oh my gosh, I have to hit these super relevant tutus. Sometimes I'm just thinking, I want to be able to take out a critical mass of creatures that my opponent has got, right? Because they've cast a Saheli and been able to dump a bunch of non-creature cards, or they've Mm -hmm. cast a big pest infestation, something like that. So this is a wonderful answer to some of those kind of flood the boardy kind of kind of cards. And it's a 6-5. Which is a callback to our tokens episode that we have with John Terrell, aka Cultic Cube, where we're going to talk about the advent and the history of tokens. So if you haven't listened to that episode, please reference that. This will make a lot more sense. But they've become highly prevalent in Magic and making this card more impactful. Justin and May, I'm going to ask you both, what did you? What do you think this does to the board state? The impact on the game of Magic? Has it come back? Okay, I guess I'll go first. So, I agree that six mana is not a big ask, but the three pips of black is. And typically when I'm drafting and I'm in black, my first thought is, how am I going to cheat this into play? <laughs> I'm sorry, but paying mana is for suckers. I'm in black. <laughs> give, me, give me my cheaty things, you know? And when I look at Massacre Worm, I think that it just answers just a lot of relevant things. And being able to drop it early is like the kind of ceiling here. The problem is, is that once you start getting into this sort of, what if they're playing a bunch of things that have higher toughness? What if they're playing a bunch of things that, you know, don't make tokens or don't care about the Massacre Worm? What if it only comes down and maybe only hits one thing or nothing? And there's a lot of times when it isn't the most fantastic card, but I think that those times are kind of worth the trade-off, kind of. So, I got a lot of thoughts about Massacre Worm. So, Massacre Worm came out in 2011, I think. Mirror Besieged, I think, came out in 2011. Nostalgia. I immediately put this card in my cube, and I my primary cube uh, has always had Massacre Worm in it. There's never a time I've gone away from this card. And I'm probably going to say a couple of the same things that that John that you guys talked about with John about the tokens episode. But as we continue on in Magic, there is a proliferation of tokens as not just cube cards, but just powerful cards in general, which, of course, make more cube-centric token cards 
where Masker Worm, as that happens, gets better and better, where this becomes a legitimate game-ending threat at six mana. So can, even even without the context of being able to reanimate it, obviously that's very good. Like, I, I don't even think, I don't, I don't need to speak more about that, but even just being able to get to six, and I will, I will I'm going to put a pin in talking about the reanimator stuff because I do think there's a factor, but there's something else going on in black that helps that too. But being able to play this and have the threat of being able to not just clear your opponent's board, but dealing them eight to 14 damage is that that can end the game. Not only has the proliferation of tokens been very relevant in cube, but also as we have moved along historically, the discrepancy between power and toughness is getting wider. Cards have more power and cards have lower toughness, especially cards that are making it into cubes, because that is generally how magic has just worked, where you see cards that are very good attacking cards. And in most cubes, that is how those cubes are kind of pushing their power level, is having cards that are ending the game quickly. Masker Worm, also really good against those type of cards. So I love this card. And my favorite type of my favorite type of reanimator decks are reanimator decks where I can speed along my big monsters like a Masker Worm or a Grave Titan. But I also have the opportunity to cast them if I can just, you know, maybe jump up a mana here or there with a a, a talisman, you know, at, at some point along and then cast that on turn five. And then some games, oops, I can put this into play on turn two. And you have to be prepared for both styles of me being able to play a mid-range game that can top out with one of these cards or something that can put into play early. Oops, here's my dark ritual. Right. <laughs> so I think, and something that, you know, and something that, May, you were talking about is this card sometimes isn't good because... It doesn't impact the board because it's really looking for a very specific thing. It's looking for you to have a uh, you know a number of small creatures or to be able to deal you a lot of damage. I think the times this card isn't good are irrelevant because black is so good contextually as a color in all of those other situations because it's talking about one for one removal. If Masker Worm is not good, that means like Raven's Chupacabra is good or something like that, or a Bitter Triumph is good. So you mm. already have all of these other black cards you're likely playing in a deck that has Masker Worm because again. You don't really want to play this in a deck that can't that that, that can't afford to have a a black 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 pipped card in your hand, right? So this right. is something you're really going to want to look at casting at some point in the game. So if that's the case, you're probably playing a black centric deck, or at least like black and only one other color, or something where you have access to a lot of black mana, and that means you're likely going to be better in those situations where Masker Worm's already not very good. So. Is I mean, it's more of a bug than a feature, but fortunately, I think black has a lot of ways to 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 not have to worry about that. I, understand I know that. I'm talking a lot, but I have one more point while we're on reanimator and I don't see it in the show notes and I really want to talk about it. Talk about it. Go off. You get the OK from everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. Tangent? Or, great. Send it. OK, so one of the things that I think black has really benefited from in the last couple of years worth of magic design is creatures that are big creatures that are able to put themselves into the graveyard. Oh, and that's yeah, something that we are seeing more and more and more, which makes Black Reanimator more powerful. And this is actually the way that I think that Black is going to be moving into the future as, as this type of things becomes more common. Now, earlier you were saying we can all agree that Black is kind of getting better at being able to do all of these things and kind of up its standing as as a color across all cubes. Yeah. I don't agree right okay. now. 
I, and I will go on a limb and say that, and I will be the dissenter here. Mm-hmm. I think that pretty much every other color has gotten more tools more frequently than black, and black is consistently being left in the dust. But this is the light that I see at the end of the tunnel for black as a way to really move back into modern card design, and that's cards like Colossal Sky Turtle or Troll of Kaza Dune or Waker in the Waves or... I mean, all of the ones, really all the ones from Lord of the Rings, all the creatures from Lord of the Rings oh, yeah. have land cycling of one. Even even something like Grief. These cards are able to put themselves into the graveyard. You actually don't need to find discard outlets. You don't need to find Entomb. And it doesn't necessarily matter that they're not a Gristle brand or an Arcan of Cruelty. But the fact that you can potentially shift your cube design to not have to rely on discard outlets and search and, you know, entombed type cards where you can simply have a a large swath of cards that provide additional utility. Troll, Troll across of Dune obviously is a good, you know, find your lands. Colossal uh, Sky Turtle is a bounce spell or a, a regrowth. All of these cards are able to do something at an additional angle, and then you're able to reanimate those. With, when You get to skip a step, basically. You get to skip a deck-building step, and more importantly, you get to skip a cube construction step where you don't have to focus on that. And that, I think, in my opinion, is the way that Black is going to move forward and be able to be at a, at, at a greater parity when it comes to actually being the master of something. I agree. Because right now, right now, I don't think that Black is the master of anything. Even though it's good at reanimating stuff, it struggles mm-hmm. to put cards in the graveyard or getting cards. And this is the way that it can completely sidestep that and really be awesome at at really the thing that it should have always been awesome at, which is recurring cards out of the graveyard. All right, May, yeah. go ahead. No, I, I agree with you on that because it was like what I was saying earlier is that cards nowadays for black need to be able to do something else they need to be able to give you some additional value they need to be able to do additional things and that's why aggro packages in black just aren't cutting it anymore because we need things like grief we need things like troll troll of kazu doom we need things that can either just dump themselves in the graveyard to get some utility or that sacrifice themselves or things that can make your cars move things that make your deck efficient in black on its own and make that its own stick of, hey, we're really good at getting things in the graveyard now, and you're going to feel good about getting into the graveyard. You're going to feel good hitting that grief and then just reanimating it later. So you can and that actually is definitely the future. see where Black has evolved over time, right? Like, it's become, mm. it's become something different, and as we get more tools in the tool bag, right? Like, as the suite grows, we can do something more with it. But... As a curator, myself, and this is my story, this is what I'm talking about, like, I'm really trying to recontextualize my Powered Vintage Cube to focus on removal, hand stripping, reanimation, and tutors, right? That's what Black does so well. Whereas when we talked about, like, the Evolve Sleeper and stuff like that early in the episode, you can see where cards like that really just didn't, I mean, they do, but they don't in my particular environment, play to what Black does well. It was trying to emulate or become something. It was a pseudo-aggro package. And you can do that, right? Like, I won't I won't tell a curator that's, you know, harnessing the power of Black aggro or Blue aggro or Green aggro not to do the thing. But in this Powered Vintage environment that I'm trying to harness... I'm looking to get a suite of tools that plays more to what players are looking for, like Justin Parnell, right? And Stu. And as I get this advice, I want these cards like Masker Worm 
that it's interesting that they've actually come back into the fold. They left, they went into the binder, they ruminated, and then over time, they found a place because the environment, the contextualization of the environment has changed, right? The, the field has changed. Would you guys agree with that statement? I'm going to say this. I, I agree. But unfortunately, even though we are seeing this trend with some of these cards, that they are sort of falling out of favor and coming back, I really don't think that that's going to be the case with pack rap. I'm sorry, Anthony. Yeah. It's just, you've got, <laughs> you you're going to have though? to let you it go. Hey, I want to note, pack rat does block Ragavan. <laughs> it, do. <laughs> it do, it do, it do, it do. So it does, <laughs> but it's time is over. We'll we'll pour one out for old Packrat at some point. It, but uh, I yeah. think I think that it's good, and I think your point about cards coming back into the fold, especially for, and this is something I encourage all cube owners to do. If you are struggling with a color about finding its identity in your cube, don't look at the brand new cards. Dig deep. Look at things that have already been printed. What has Black had success in in the past? And you might not know that, but just like, just go, you know, go backwards in sets, not forwards. So the ability, the ability to look back and and find a number of cards that work, and then extrapolate on that is going to mean that your Black section might not be filled with the newest cards. And as cube designers, that. I, that happens to all of us very often because new cards come out. I think a new card has come out since we've started this podcast. They come out so frequently. Um, and we want to, and everyone, magic players love new cards. They're like, how can I fit this into my cube? Wonderful. But if you're trying to work on a color, and this is not just exclusive to black, but this could be any color, look at some old cards. There's, there, chances are you're going to find some stuff that might be diamonds in the rough for you. And then you can build on that as an archetype or, or a supported facet of your cube. And Black has a lot of tools for that because at various points, it's done everything. It's one of the few colors that's done every single thing in Magic. There's not very much it hasn't done. And based on that, I really, really, really want to thank Justin for joining us again on the show. It's been an honor, and I'm looking forward to my fourth strike. I really want to try. I, I just... I just want to my, my fiber my being I, I it's gonna i'm going to do it right i'm gonna boomerang your tap land justin is gonna retire with a hundred percent record against <laughs> he's got, all of us he's got let's all just the be records. honest it's gonna happen record, man i i gotta say i whenever i go on cube podcasts man i look like such a better magic player than i really am because <laughs> i don't know if i've lost a match against any cube podcast host past present or future <laughs> and i think that's just kind of how it's worked out but i gotta keep that intact you know i'm only saving them up for you i didn't and i gotta say that 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 win against anthony is the only person i beat the whole day and it's the only one that mattered it's the only one that that's mattered. right that's the only one that, i don't even remember anyone else there was a whole different there was like a sub cubecon that happened it was me versus jp and that's just yeah. it is what it is but I appreciate you being on the show. This yes. is absolutely amazing. Thank you. You're a wonderful guest. I'm looking forward to cubing with you in Raleigh in the near future. It's going to be amazing. Yes. Yeah. We're going to put something on absolutely. here and have some fun down here on the East Coast. Can't let the the Midwest or what What do you call Wisconsin? Wisconsin. Is that the Midwest or is it just Midwest. the Northwest? Cheese, just cheese land? I don't know. Cheese, cheese land. land. Cheese yeah. land. Yeah. All right. Cheese We're not going to let cheese land have Anyways, all the fun. You ready to move us on to our uh, closing? 
Yeah, take us over our socials, please. Well, sir. let's first of all, as always, we're going to give a huge shout out to our patrons, to Chris Singer, Nicholas Lapointe, Stephen Conifal, Preston, and Sam McKenna. We love you guys. Thank you so much for all the ongoing support. Uh, if you want to check out our uh, MTG Cube Drafting Facebook and get in on the conversation there, you can check us out at www.facebook.com slash groups and a number that I'm not going to say no. here but I'll, I'll urge you to go check it out but in I the show notes. I am the admin and there's currently 750 cubers in there so there it's is. fantastic. A lot of discussion. Community is growing. Going yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you love the show, we would truly appreciate it. Give us a five-star review on your cho- chosen podcast platform. You can also support us by using our Alter Sleeves affiliate link at altersleeves.com slash ubercube for 5% off your purchase, as well as our Inked Gaming affiliate link. Go check them out for play mats, dice bags, mouse pads, a whole lot of custom bling for your cube or whatever your uh, magic chosen format might be. Reach out to us on Twitter. As Justin mentioned over there, you can hit him at... Parnell one on Twitter. It's like the only social media that I'm active on, although I did just join the Cube Drafting group on Facebook, so 751 now. 751. There you yeah, have it. Yeah, there Numbers we go. Keep but I got to answer a survey. Oh, just say oh, yes. Just I'll say yes. I'm the admin. Just I'll let yes you in. Everything. You're cool. Or you can reach out to us. We are at Ubercube MTG Pod. If you want to write us, uh, you know, some hate mail or uh, a discussion about send one of the episodes, yeah, send us a, an email, ubercubemtgpodcast at gmail.com. We've actually also been smart this time. Rather than just saying hashtag Ubercube, we've posted a link to our Discord on Twitter. So uh, we'll, yeah. we'll continue to do that. Maybe thought, we'll, we should thought, do that with each episode. I thought that everything cool had hashtag in front of it. So for like a year and a half, <laughs> I've been saying hashtag Ubercube. And everybody's like, I don't know how to find this. I'm like, we should have got that dude, trending. it's hashtag, bro. We should have got that <laughs> That's what you do. That, that, that was a mistake. <laughs> I didn't Man. know. We learned. We learn. Yeah. And that's when you realize the the generations have passed you by. Yes. They have. Everything. I'm, I'm with you. I'm not I and this is not me speaking as someone in a different generation. Like I'm I find myself as someone who has two two teenagers. You'll, I just at this point, it's you know, it's better to just accept who you are. Yeah. We don't have a TikTok. So you keep hashtagging. You can find us at hashtag boomer and <laughs> <laughs> All right. There we go. And with that, we're going to say what we always say here to wrap it up. Joy. Happy, Happy cubing. cubing. There we go.